tonight we're going to talk about a passage from, it's in Luke chapter 4. If you've been watching The Chosen, it was about, I don't know, maybe three episodes ago. But it's just a really powerful thing that happens. And as we try to connect passages from the Tanakh with passages in the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, this is kind of one of the um, keys to it. And it's one of the key passages that connects a powerful Old Testament prophecy, which is from Isaiah. It's from Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah, remember, writes 700 and some years before Yeshua was even born. And he prophesies so many things about sin and judgment and so many things about how Messiah is going to come and so many things about what Messiah is going to do and so many things about Gentiles being included in the kingdom that it's just an amazing 66 chapters. And it's, it's sometimes referred to as the gospel, according to Isaiah, as we've said before, because it has all the elements of the gospel in it, has all the elements of the plan of salvation in it. And so fulfilled in your hearing is the quote that Yeshua uses in the synagogue of Nazareth. Now, the context of this, you all know, he was raised in Nazareth, okay? At this point, he's 30 years old. He's lived in Nazareth from the time he was, we don't know exactly, a year old, couple of years old, till, yeah, three years old. We don't know exactly when the wise men came. We don't know exactly when they went to Egypt. When they came back from Egypt, they went back to Nazareth. But he grew up in Nazareth. He was there at least 26, 27 years before this happens. So everybody in town knew him. You know, in those days, you didn't travel a long way from where you lived. You didn't travel a long way from where you were born. Most people probably never went more than 100 miles from where they were born. So everybody knew him there. He had been out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, comes back to Nazareth, and then does this teaching. <clears throat> now, for those of you that have been in a synagogue, um, even Messianic synagogues do this, the leader of the synagogue picks somebody to do the readings for the following week. And then that person does either just the Torah portion or just the second reading or just a third reading, or sometimes the same person does all three. So in a Messianic synagogue, you have the Torah portion, the parashah, you have the Haftorah portion, which is a prof the prophets, and then you'll have a New Testament reading. In traditional synagogues, of course, you won't have the New Testament reading, but you'll have three readings. And when the person does the reading, they are allowed, as long as they belong to the congregation and they've had bar mitzvah, they're allowed to comment on the scripture. Now, in traditional circles, women would never have been allowed to do this because the men and women, number one, are kept separated. And number two is a woman would never have been allowed to comment on the scriptures. But that's another story we won't get into. <laughs> so um, 
that's like walking across a minefield when you start talking about what women could do and couldn't do, which wasn't a whole lot they could do at this time and for a long time after this. But anyway, so if you had bar, if you were bar mitzvah, you were allowed to comment on the scriptures. So you would read the passage and then you would do a very short commentary about the passage. Two minutes, three minutes, and that's called a drash. So the setting of this is, on the Sabbath, whoever the leader of the synagogue was, it wasn't rabbis in those days, because Yeshua was a rabbi as well. Rabbis were teachers that had pupils. There were synagogue leaders that had that ran the place. So the Sabbath before this happens, the guy says to Yeshua, next week, would you like to do the second reading? And Yeshua would have said, sure, I'd love to. And probably would have added, now, I know you're a really smart guy and everybody here really respects you, but, you know, try to keep your drosh pretty short. We want to do it in two minutes. Okay, we don't, you know. So he said, sure, I'll do it. So that's the setting. We're going to do the Old Testament first because this is the reading if you read that passage, it'll say the scroll of Isaiah was brought to him. And the attendant unrolled the scroll to where the reading was. So remember, there's no chapters, there's no verses. You kind of open the scroll and you look for the passage. Now, hopefully before the service, somebody would have marked where it was. But anyway, the attendant opens it up, lays it down on the bima which is kind of a little platform that you set the scrolls on. And he read. And the reading that week, of the, the second reading that week, the Haftarah, we don't know what the Torah portion was because we don't exactly know what time of year it was. But the second reading was Isaiah 61. Now, remember, 700 years before Jesus is even born. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Whew. You should take that home. When you get home, read this for your homework, and then spend the rest of the week thinking about all of these words. Because this is so amazing. And this is, of course, a messianic prophecy. Because he starts with, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. Messiah, Mashiach, means the anointed one. Christos, Christ, means the anointed one. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. I came to preach good tidings. Heal the brokenhearted. Give liberty. Let people out of prison. Proclaim acceptable year of the Lord. Comfort those who mourn. Give beauty for ashes. You see how this is messianic. 
You get beauty for ashes. You get the oil of joy for mourning. So instead of being sad and mourning, you get the oil of joy. They would rub oil into their skin to make their faces brighter. And that was called the oil of joy. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. So you see, they're, they're called trees of righteousness. It doesn't mean that they are righteous. It means that they are called trees of righteousness. We have very little righteousness of our own. We're called trees of righteousness. And they're the planting of the Lord. He's planted the trees. So you see how this is messianic. And it all ends up with God is glorified by this. He's glorified by the fact that we have come to Messiah, that, we, that we're called trees of righteousness, and that he's planted us where he wants us to be. So this is Isaiah 61. That's the reading. So he's talking about somebody who's coming. He's talking about a person who's coming. He's talking about a man who's coming. And he's fitted and he's qualified for this work. It isn't some dopey high priest. It isn't some, you know, run-of-the-mill guy who's some Levite somewhere. This is somebody who's been anointed for this work. The presence of the Spirit is on him. Yes? No? Yes. So we know that this is the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. He was the one who was sent. He was the one that was equipped. He was the one that was anointed. Why? Because he's God and he's man. And the anointing of the Spirit, of course, was on him. So when Paul tells us in Colossians 1, when you saw Jesus of Nazareth, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. No other man who's ever lived has been the fullness of the Godhead. Can I get an amen? Where's Alan? Can I get an amen? So he was sent. So he's sent by the Father. He's commissioned by the Father to preach good news. Right? Gospel is an old English word for good news. The gospel is good news. Why is it good news? Because instead of worrying about all 613 laws and how am I doing with all that and keeping my scorecard and thinking I'm falling down at every one or every other one, or even if you fall down on one, I'm not doing a very good job. I, I, I don't know how I can do this my whole life. I can never be holy. He's coming to tell us good news. The gospel is good news because it's grace, not law. Capital L. It's grace, not law. That's good news. Following 613 laws and falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up and falling. That's not good news. That's horrible news. But grace coming into you being saved by whoever this is is just coming and being called righteous, that's good news. So he's sent with good news to the poor. That doesn't just mean economically poor. 
It means poor in spirit. It means people who have no clue what Isaiah is even talking about. It's This is about people who say, eh, you know, you guys go to the synagogue if you want. I mean, unless they're having coffee and donuts, I'm not going. Or in our day, it would be like, yeah, 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 I know about that church stuff. But, I mean, hey, knock yourself out if that's what you want to do. I'm, I'm not into that. Poor. Even if the guy's a multimillionaire who thinks that way, he's poor. And so the good news goes to the poor, to the meek, but also goes to the brokenhearted. The people who say, oh, you know, I really want to live for God. I really want to live the way he wants me to live, but I'm not really doing a very good job. And, you know, I'm letting him down and I'm, I'm just a mess. Which is a position that we're all in. We've all been in. You know, I try to do my best. I try to do the best I can, but it just never really works out. Like Paul says, in Romans, or no, no, I'm sorry, not Romans. Second Corinthians, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. The good, Monica, you got to help me out. The good I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. That's St. Paul. I mean, he had a problem doing things he didn't want to do over and over and over again. And we have that same problem over and over and over again. We do the things we don't want to do. And then we say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then a day or two or three later, you do the same thing again. He, he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, of all the sinners, I'm the first. I'm the worst. Some translations say worst. Some translations say first. But the Greek means of all the sinners, you know I'm the worst one. So we can all say that. Like, I think I'm a much worse sinner than all y'all are. And you guys might think, oh, I'm a much worse sinner than he. Okay, but we're all sinners. So he comes to heal that brokenheartedness. You want to follow, but you can't. You want to do the things, but you can't. You want to sit and pray, and you can't distracted. You want to study scripture, but you can't. I, you know, I'm too distracted. I got too much other stuff going on. Whatever it is. So he comes to heal the brokenhearted. And these are physical and spiritual things. And people who are poor in spirit. You know, Paul talks about how it's the spirit and the flesh are always at war with each other. And your flesh says, what in the world are we doing going to a Bible study tonight? We should be out at the Mexican place drinking margaritas and eating and having fun. This is boring. And the spirit says, no, no, no. It's okay to have a margarita once in a while and go eat Mexican, but tonight we're going to the Bible study. The spirit and the flesh are always at war because the flesh always wants to be gratified. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I want this. I want that. I want the other thing. But if you live in the spirit, you have a different life. So it's also for the poor in spirit, quiet and humble people who have guilt and shame. They're going to be healed. People who have guilt and shame are actually, at least I think, much better off than people who could care less about what they do. You know, the callous people, like Paul says, 
that their consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Their conscience doesn't even bother them anymore. They're used to living the way they live. They're used to doing the sins they always do. They never give it a second thought. Whereas if when we commit a sin, we say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I feel really bad that I did that. Right? It, it's a difference. And so he brings liberty to captives, opens up the prison. What's the prison? We're all in the dungeon. We're all in a dungeon of sin. We're all in a dungeon of disobedience and rebellion. We stand condemned by the law, capital L. Every single one of us, if we had to be saved by keeping the law of Moses, we would be lost. Right? Because you can't keep all those laws even for one day, let alone all your life perfectly. So he opens up the prison. And it talks about liberty. We belong in the jail. We belong in the dungeon because of God's justice. Because we've all broken the law. If you leave here and you run this red light and the cop pulls you over, you deserve to get the ticket if you ran the red light. Simple, simple matter. If you violate God's law over and over again your whole life, you belong in the jail. You belong in the dungeon. You belong in hell when you die. Because you haven't kept your side of the bargain, your side of the covenant, your side of the agreement. But our penalty's been paid. It says here, somebody comes and opens the prison doors and brings liberty to the captives. Opens the prison door. You guys can leave now. Yeah, 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 you're guilty. Yeah, 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 you did it. But you're out now. It's as if you didn't do it. As far as the east is from the west, he's separated our sin from us. He's buried him in the deepest part of the ocean, never to remember them again. Prison doors open. You know, we're bound to the power of sin. He comes and conquers Satan. You know, Satan loves having us in the prison. I mean, this is what, I mean, Satan loves this, right? But he's conquered Satan. He's conquered death. He conquered sin by bleeding on the cross, conquered death by dying and rising. Paul says that he's made a spectacle of Satan. Satan wasn't expecting a suffering Messiah. He knows the scriptures better than we do, but he was surprised. He wanted Jesus killed. He wanted the crowd instigated. He wanted this to go down. Didn't realize till it was over what had actually happened. And so he's conquered Satan, conquered death. First Corinthians 15 is, after Romans 8, is probably the second or third best chapter in the whole Bible. Give me that for your homework too. <clears throat> so we're free indeed. Jesus says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. John 8, 36. So if the Son, capital S, sets you free, 
if this person who's coming opens the prison door and lets you out, you're free. Satan can't come after you and say, hey, wait a minute, bub. You belong in the jail. I'm going to drag you back in there. You're free. And Jesus says, you're free indeed. There's no question about it. So from Romans 8, that I just mentioned, which is my favorite chapter in all the scripture, is you're not bound in a jail, but you're an adopted child. You become a family member. Whereas a minute before, you were bound in the dungeon. Now you're a family member. A total change of position. Because this is the good news. This is the good news. And when you read Romans all of chapter 8, this is what this is about. We don't always get that. Paul says the Spirit comes into our spirit to tell us that. You can't figure that out on your own. But this is the good news. So we're free indeed. We become adopted children. So we go from Satan having us in a dungeon to sitting at the table as an adopted son and daughter. It's amazing. He says, an acceptable year of the Lord. The Jubilee, every 50 years, all the deaths were forgiven. People got their land back that had lost their land. You know, in year 49, you could take out a new credit card, run it up to the max, because in the next year, it would all be forgiven. <laughs> all the, oh, come on, that was pretty funny. Where's Jordan? All the slaves were freed. If someone had repossessed your land because you didn't pay the tax or something, you got your land back. The 50th year was the Jubilee year. But it says there's also a day of vengeance. You know, don't listen to these guys on TV that lead you to think, hey, it's cool. Everybody's cool. Everybody, I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's on their way to heaven. Don't sweat it, man. It's also a day of vengeance. Because also in John, Jesus says, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. If you don't believe in the Son of God, you're already condemned. You know, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, he says the sin he's going to convict you of is you didn't believe in God's only Son. He says, you didn't believe in me, so you're already condemned. So an acceptable year. And you get beauty for ashes. I mean, you're a total dark mess covered with soil and ashes and disgusting stuff. You get beauty in its place. It was kind of like the other, this last episode of The Chosen where the woman with the hemorrhage gets healed. And she goes from being this dirty, kind of outcast, horrible situation to being like this very excited, happy woman with a glowing face. She's gotten beauty for ashes, the oil of joy. You get a garment of praise. Now you get a white garment and you praise and you wave palm branches and all the stuff that's in Revelation about what's going to happen when we go to heaven. Just like Sukkot, we're going to wave palm branches and, and sing. I'll even be able to sing then. And I'll have air. So it's going to be wild. <clears throat> so it's a garment of praise. 
So all the negative stuff is gone. You don't have to put oil on your face to make yourself look shiny. You're going to be shiny. You're going to have the oil of gladness. Revelation 3.5, you're going to read that for your homework too. Now, here's what happens that morning. It's a normal Shabbat. All the people in Nazareth are going to the synagogue. You know, there's going to be like what's called an oneg afterwards with some refreshments. And everybody wants to go hear the talk. And they heard that Yeshua was actually going to do the second reading. So they were glad he was back. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he's standing at the bima with the scroll unrolled in front of him. If you've been to a synagogue, you can, you can picture that in your head. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he quotes from Isaiah 61 and even adds a couple of things. Opening blind eyes. Because to the spiritually poor, they got their eyes open. And when you met Jesus, did your eyes open? I mean, your physical eyes were open for years or decades before that. But then all of a sudden, you said, whoa, I didn't realize all that. Because now your eyes are really open. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Of course, it wasn't a book. It was a scroll, but that's okay. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? Because they knew he was going to do a commentary. They knew he was going to do a drosh. They knew who he was. They knew he was really smart. They know he seemed to be a real moral, ethical guy. They knew his mother and who they thought was his father, but they knew his parents, basically, knew where they lived, knew that Joseph had had the carpenter shop or you know, whatever it was called, and that he had worked in the carp- carpenter shop until recently, making tables and chairs, making things, you know, repairing things. So he did for work, actually worked for a living. You know, our religious people nowadays, or for a long time, don't even feel like you have to do any physical work. But Yeshua himself worked in a carpenter shop for a long time. I always like to think that people in, around Nazareth who became believers later probably had stuff in their house that he had made. And they probably told all their friends, hey, you know, Yeshua made this chair. It was 20 years ago, but he made the chair. I mean, imagine how cool that would be. Whew. But anyway, so they fixed their eyes on him saying, what is this nice young man going to say? Is he going to go on this big teaching about Isaiah? Is he going to talk about prophets? Is he going to talk about how the fact that someday the Messiah is going to come and do these things? And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Whoa. If the leader of the synagogue said, listen, young man, next week when you read, keep it short. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want people going to sleep. We don't want people leaving the service before it's over. So don't talk too long. He says one sentence. Today, that scripture is fulfilled in their hearing. What does that mean? It means that he's the Messiah. It means that he's the anointed one. It means that he's the one who's come to open the prison door, take away your ashes and give you beauty, put the oil of joy on your face, get you out of the prison. I'm the one who's here to do that. It's fulfilled today in your hearing. That was his whole commentary. So here they are on a normal Shabbat. You know, they're working hard to keep the law. You know, the observant people are there. Everybody's waiting to see what their scripture readings are, what the commentaries are going to be. And they find out that this young man, who they all know, says he's the one that Isaiah is talking about. Now, we know these things and we understand these things, right? But imagine this, whatever church you go to, imagine next this coming Sunday morning after somebody did a reading, you stood up and said, what he just read is about me. How would people react? They would come, take you by both arms, and take you to the door. And actually, they should. <laughs> oh, that was funny. But anyway, but he says, I'm the one that the scripture's talking about. I'm the one that this is about. He stands up to read. He has this respect for the word like Ezra, the prophet Ezra had. If you read the book of Nehemiah, Ezra the prophet just unrolls the law, books of the law and reads from 6 a.m. to noon. And the people listen and they say, amen, and glory to God, and they fall down. And they're praising as Ezra's reading the word. There's great respect for the word. And Yeshua himself, great respect for the word. He reads the passage and then says, that passage is about me. That passage is talking about me. You guys have read this. Some of you have heard this passage 10 times. But today, you see who it's about. It's me. So he's qualified to do the work. He's commissioned. He's preaching to people that the religious leaders didn't like. Nobody liked Galileans. Backwards, uneducated, dirty, working people, smell like fish. I did a series of talks once in um, Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, Canada. And in one of the talks, I kept talking about, well, you know, these smelly guys, you know, they were all fishermen. And so these smelly fishermen, you know, they walking around there and they all smelled like fish and blah, blah, blah. So when I was done with the talk, four or five guys came up to me and said, we're all fishermen. <laughs> I mean, they got what I was talking about, but it was kind of ironic. <clears throat> but the leaders despise these people. But he's preaching by saying one sentence, giving them who he is, what his identity is, and 
what he came to do. What he came to do. <clears throat> so we know he's, it's deliverance, sight to the blind, light in the darkness. They see the truth, capital T. No matter how many times they heard this passage, now they know who it was about. Maybe. A jubilee, a year of release, an acceptable year, the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable. Today is the day of salvation. Now, you may only have today to have salvation. Because you're not guaranteed you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, right? And if you go to bed saying, eh, you know, I'll worry about this Jesus thing some other time, you may not have another time. So it's the acceptable day. So he does this powerful drash, sitting down, it says, which was the position of teaching. The teacher sat down, and the students all gathered around them. And in one sentence, he tells them, what Isaiah wrote as prophecy is now here in front of you. 700 years ago, my guy Isaiah wrote this, and here I am. This is what Isaiah was talking about. The kingdom is here now. Ooh. Kingdom is here now. We didn't get into the second part, but you know what happens. The people say, wait a minute. We know who you are. We know your father and mother. I mean, imagine the, what was ripping through the place. We've known you since you were a kid. You used to play with our kids when you were little. Who do you think, you, what do you mean this is about you? This is blasphemy. And they took him to the precipice of the city and we're going to throw him over and kill him. If you go to Nazareth, the original city is on this high kind of plateau. There's drop-offs on four sides that go down to the, what's now the main part of the city, which is about 90% Muslim. And all the Christian sites, as we would call them, are on top at the high part of the city. And when you go to this precipice, it's high and it's completely sheer. So if you threw somebody off of there, there's no way anybody would survive it. But as you saw in The Chosen and as you read, it wasn't time yet. So he just walked between them and left. But this is the reaction to what you just read is about me. So please go home and read the rest of it. Good news. Good news. 